You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit. For the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, amen. Now, uh, I think every single human being in the United States is aware that there is an election on Tuesday. And I know that we are all looking forward to Tuesday being in the rearview mirror. Now, it is kind of uh, unspoken, an unspoken rule that preachers should not talk about politics from the pulpit. Well, that's not biblical. The Bible, first, has lots to say about political and social issues. And secondly, this, pol- this election is causing everyone a great deal of trepidation and anxiety. And if we cannot draw from the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to find peace in a time of fear, then where can we find it? So get ready, get nervous, get awkward, uh, because today we are going to talk about how Revelation 7 informs the upcoming political election on Tuesday. Now, one would not first choose a passage from Revelation 7 if you're going to talk about politics, but the text from Revelation 7 offers invaluable insight as we approach Tuesday. Revelation is the last book of the New Testament, and it is of the genre apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature peels back the curtain of heaven and allows us a view into the heavenly realities where God dwells. Apocalyptic literature also gives us insights into the end times. We can see where history is headed. And so in Revelation 7, we see one of several depictions of the new heavens and the new earth after the second coming of Christ uh, that is presented in the book of Revelation. And so from this unlikely but glorious text... The realities of heaven provide direction, hope, and peace as we approach a contentious election. And from Revelation 7, we can glean three points which will serve as the structure of this sermon. Vote like a Christian, hope like a Christian, and chill out like a Christian. The message is clear. Because of God's good and sovereign reign, we can approach Tuesday's election with purpose and with peace. So first, vote like a Christian. Now in Revelation 7, we get a picture into the heavenly realities, most likely uh, a view of the new heavens and the new earth after the second coming of Christ. Now this is when God has completed his work and when heaven and earth have merged together. And we have two pieces of evidence for this. First, The language in verse 16 and 17 is very similar to the language in Revelation 21 and 22, which is the most clear portrayal of the new heavens and the new earth. There are promises and language of God wiping away their tears, streams of living water, and no presence of a sun because God will be their light. Secondly, in verse 9, we see the presence of people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, this tells us that God has completed his mission in Christ. God's mission in the gospel is to reconcile sinners into relationship with God through the blood of Christ. And the scope of that mission 
is that the Lord would reconcile people to himself from every single tribe, every single nation throughout the world. And so the presence of people from every nation in this text standing before the throne of God tells us that we are looking prophetically in to the completion of God's mission. Now, what in the world does this have to do with Tuesday's election (laughs) and voting like a Christian? Well, Christianity is inherently eschatological. And what that means is that Christianity is, at its very core, telling us where God is moving history. It is telling us that God has an appointed end. And here in Revelation 7, we get a picture of the appointed end, the new heavens and the new earth. And so in this period that we live in now, between the first and second coming of Christ, the work and the purpose of God is to advance his kingdom through the Spirit, through the gospel, and through his people until the second coming of Christ. And so if you know Christ as your Savior and your Lord, then you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that means that the primary purpose in your life is the advancement of the kingdom of God through God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not just confined to your spiritual life. This purpose carries over into every single facet of your life, including politics and voting. The furtherance of the kingdom is what should govern our thinking at the polls. Now, as sinners, this is hard. Uh, We tend to vote out of self-interest and self-preservation. We may vote because we have a long-time personal affiliation with one party. Or we might vote out of resentment of fear of certain politicians or certain parties. I I know this because these are all things that I'm wrestling in my inner life as I think about what in the world I'm going to do on Tuesday. Uh, And so this is why uh, we have to bring our personal politics under the care, guidance, and wisdom of Jesus Christ. Now, the way we do this is by letting the principles of the kingdom of God, as seen in the entire Bible, govern our politics. Now, I emphasize the whole Bible, because when Christians fail to let the entire Bible govern their politics, we risk staining the reputation of God's church and enabling the oppression of people. A good example of this would be the position of many Christians on slavery in the United States centuries ago. Many pastors and Christian slave owners distorted the Bible and overlooked certain obvious passages in order to justify slavery. They would look at verses like Ephesians 6, 5 and say, well, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And they would say, see, slavery is just fine. Or in one case, they manipulated the curse of Ham in Genesis 9 to justify chattel slavery, which was practiced in the U.S. After Ham saw his father Noah naked, a curse was pronounced upon him. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. Somehow, some Christians suggested that African people were descendants of Ham. And so slavery in the United States was a reflection and a justification of that curse. Mm. American slavery, they said, whereby people 
were kidnapped, trafficked, and sold as property was somehow justified by the Bible. Now, did you know that the Bible contemns chattel slavery to the extent of the death penalty? Exodus 21.16 states, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Can you condemn chattel slavery as practiced in the United States any more clearly than that? In, in 1 Timothy 1.10, the Apostle Paul likens slave traders to murderers. Now, the Bible clearly condemns chattel slavery as practiced in the United States. Christians obviously should have spoken prophetically and opposed and resisted slavery. And some evangelical Christians did. The abolition movement in the U.S. and the U.K. were largely led by Christians who were serious about the Bible and committed to the kingdom. But alas, the majority of Christians, pastors and lay people alike, laid silent and they let economic self-interest and political expediency govern their politics. And what an absolute stain it was and still is to the Church of Jesus Christ. What horrible atrocities were committed against black people. And what an obstacle was erected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must vote like Christians and let the advancement of the kingdom of God be the foremost priority in the way we think about politics. The question, what does the entire Bible say about dot, 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 is the question we ask when we go to the polls. What does the Bible say about a compassionate attitude towards immigrants? What does the Bible say about taxes? What does it say about the dangers of debt and unchecked spending? What does the Bible say about defending the poor and the vulnerable? What does the Bible say about defending children and the elderly and widows? What does the Bible say about the sanctity and protection of the lives of unborn children? What does the Bible say about standing up for victims of injustice and oppression? It speaks clearly on all these issues. Voting like a Christian, though, is easier said than done. First, every single candidate on, this, on the ticket is a sinner. Jesus is not on the ticket, unlike the yard signs that some of us have in our front yards. Secondly, there's no, political, there's no perfect political party. Everyone has their virtues, and everyone has their flaws. And thirdly, there, there's more than one way to skin the cat when it comes to furthering Christian values uh, in politics. I think all Christians would agree that the advancement of the education of poor children is something we can all get behind. But there are many different theories and competing well-grounded approaches to achieving this. And so this is why we have to seek God's wisdom as we go to the polls. In reality, if you prioritize the kingdom and the whole Bible in your voting, you are most likely going to be too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals. And so the point is, we need to let our Bibles, our prayers, and the advancement of the kingdom drive our political decisions. So we want to vote like Christians. We also want to hope like Christians. Now, I grew up in a family that talked about political races and foreign policy at the dinner table just about every night. Uh, I, watch, I have watched pretty much every single political convention since 1988, Dukakis versus Bush, 
And in 2000, the, president, the second presidential debate was held in my alma mater, Wake Forest, and I went to a rally for a candidate leading up to the election. And I have to say, there was an eerie feeling at the rally. And it's the same eerie feeling uh, that I feel a lot of times when I watch political conventions. Uh, it is because I oft, I've experienced people celebrating a human being in a messianic way. Uh, sometimes these rallies and these conventions uh, feel like what I imagine it felt like to be in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and people said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so when considering campaigns, many people seem to attach unrealistic expectations to politicians and government action. People genuinely expect that the right politician or that the right political agenda is going to vastly change their lives and change the world. And what they're looking for is ultimate salvation. Now, as creatures made in the image of God who were meant to live in the Garden of Eden, we all know in our heart, Christian and non-Christian alike, that there is something wrong with this place, that we were meant for something more, that we need deliverance. Well, unfortunately, too many people attach their hope of salvation and deliverance to the government and politics, believing that ultimate salvation resides in policy. We can all fall into this trap. I think part of people's disdain and dissatisfaction with government uh, has a lot more to do with our unrealistic expectations of the performance of sinful people than their corruption and incompetence. Note the chorus of hosts of heaven in verse 10. They are crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The paradise that our hearts long for has been realized and is depicted in Revelation 7. The deepest desire of our hearts and of the world has been achieved. And who do they say has achieved this? Who has brought this to pass? It is God. Salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. Now, ultimate hope for Christians lies in heaven. Like There will be a day when we are delivered from the pain and the fear and the chaos and the strife of this world. And, and Lord, do we long for it now. Ultimate hope for the world rests in the new heavens and the new earth. And hope for a better world today, it resides in the hands of Jesus Christ. Salvation does not belong to Joe Biden or to Donald Trump. It does not belong to the Democrats or to the Republicans. Salvation belongs to the Lord and to Jesus Christ. Vote. Be involved in politics. Take this seriously because it has real consequences for the lives of people. But do not misdirect your hope to anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that politics, remember that salvation belongs to God alone. Only Christ can deliver us. Jesus is the only person to whom we should attach our hope. So we vote like Christians, we hope like Christians. Finally, let us chill out like Christians. And when elections come, people tend to freak out. I mean, the climate is almost hysterical right now. And you hear apocalyptic cries like, the future of democracy depends upon this election. A former student of mine was an SGA officer at a college back in 2016 when Donald Trump won the election. He received an email from a sophomore who wanted to talk 
The reason he wanted to talk is because the counseling center was all booked up for the rest of the year. And here in mid-November, with four weeks left in the semester, he was contemplating dropping out of school and forfeiting his credits and his tuition because he was so distraught as a result of the election. That, that is called freaking out. I talked to a friend of mine uh, about some of the outrageous panic that is going on uh, surrounding the election this year and just the political landscape as a whole. And my friend, who is a theologian, said, this is the behavior of people who do not have an eschatology. And what he means by that is some people think that this life is it. That there is no God above sovereignly ruling and moving the world to an appointed end. That there is no afterlife. There is no second coming of Christ. There is no new heavens and new earth. And instead, they, whether they verbalize this or not, they implicitly believe that the welfare of humanity resides in mankind. And so as a result, the government is the highest end and the greatest hope. And friends, I want to tell you, if you believe that the welfare of humanity, that the destiny of humanity rests in the hands of the federal government, you should freak out. That is a, that is a worthy reaction. And don't get me wrong. Uh, I, 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 you know, the occurrence of this life, the, the occurrences of this life and the political climate, they matter. They have real consequences and real implications. I'm in no, way, in no way minimizing that reality. And at the same time, notice the position of Christ in Revelation 7. Christ is seated upon the throne. The word throne is used seven times in this short passage. And what is Jesus doing on that throne? He's not walking around. He's not wringing his hands. He's not about to pull out his air. And he is certainly not handcuffed. He is sitting calmly on the throne where he reigns. God's rule is infinitely bigger than any election. Now, Daniel chapter 7 provides a similar picture into the heavens as we see in Revelation 7. The prophet Daniel describes a vision of four awful beasts. And these beasts symbolically represent evil governments that are in the domain of darkness. But he also talks about God, the Ancient of Days, who rules over these beasts. And there is a shift of power that is described in Daniel 7. He writes, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. This is talking about Jesus. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So as prophesied in Daniel 7, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, reigns far above the kingdoms and the governments of this world. This is a present reality. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he disarmed the powers of this dark world. His rule surpasses that of any wicked government. Presidents, senates, supreme courts, they will come and go. But Christ is not budging from his throne. And he will not until every valley is raised up and every mountain is made low and the glory of the Lord fills the entire world. No matter what 
the outcome of this election or any election. We can handle it calmly and peacefully because Jesus remains the forever reigning king. Now, I want to close with this word of encouragement. A uh, mentor of mine who led me in Bible study 15 years ago named John Riddle, he would say to us often, guys, you have one A-list problem in life, and that is what is going to happen to you when you die. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, then every other problem in life is a B-list problem. Notice in Revelation 7, the attire of the saints who stand around the throne of God. They stand clothed in white robes. God has washed away their sins through the blood of Christ, such that they stand at the feet of Christ in heaven. Their A-list problem has long been solved. Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend say it well in the hymn in Christ alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Do not let any scheme of man, no political outcome, no hysterical political commercial, no lunatic on cable news or on talk radio, do not let any scheme of man rob you of the assurance of your salvation. If you know Christ, your only A-list problem has been solved. And when you put your faith in Christ, you belong to God now and forever. And nothing can pluck you or this entire world from the hands of Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would humble sinners and I pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.